Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. He's gotta keep living, man. L.I.V. Yeah! This part, no fun! Get away from her, you bitch! Call me Lebowski. You got the wrong guy. I'm the dude. You tell me you built a time machine of Father's State of Canterbury. You're gonna need a bigger coach. Welcome to the show. All right, grab your snacks and take a seat. The show is about to start. Welcome to the Nerd Check Movie Club, everybody. I'm your host, Jeff. Um, you might remember me from some other stuff. But I have uh, a friend with me today. Hi, Melinda. Howdy. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you doing? Oh, I am so excited about the movie that we are talking about today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. Um, yeah. I'm glad that you picked this one because I I haven't watched it probably since it came out. And I was like, I don't remember having the best memory of it. And I, I was like, it's book. good. But it was, but yeah, going back and watching, I'm like, okay, I, I can appreciate this a, a lot more. Um, so we are doing Prometheus from 2012. It's 10 years old now. Shit. Yeah. Um, so why Prometheus? I unabashedly love this film. Um, but I also will be the first to admit that I, I, this film represents so much about, uh, uh, film culture that I love, but what I also love is somebody who came up with the aliens, uh, the alien and aliens films, and it has been very passionate about them. Uh, this film is a return to Ridley Scott in a way that I really love, um, you know, obviously, I think that when we look at the aliens franchise, it oftentimes gets dominated by Cameron's vision. Um, you know, sure. because it became more militarized, more kind of like that was the the build and the direction that they were going. And what makes Prometheus kind of so special is the way that Ridley Scott, it, it falls under his trajectory of kind of like the way his films normally go, which mm -hmm. is that they come out to a decent enough critical acclaim and then the fans decide that they don't like it and then we kind of forget about it before you know even people before they were going into the theater all they knew is that their nerd friends were like well it's not as good as alien and yeah. i think that in 2012 that was a time when very similar kind of to the 80s where everybody suddenly became a critic because stuff became more accessible mm. you know like in 86 is when we started to get vhs at an affordable level um you know yeah so it's and, more accessible. People are watching it at home more. Just yeah. like in 2012, there's like YouTube reviews and all that. Yeah. And by the time we get to 2012, you know, you're getting that information much faster. You're getting all of those opinions mm. much faster. And I think that even in just the 10 years that have passed, we've all kind of learned that there's so much media to consume that yeah. you're allowed to kind of you know, have these experiences of something might not necessarily be what you expected it to be, but that doesn't necessarily mean it was bad. And so going right. back, yeah, and talking about the things about something that really work for you, I think is really important. Kind of similar like what we did with Blade Runner. A lot of people did not like Blade Runner when it first came out. And there's like a whole generation of people who are like, oh, you have to watch the director's cut. The director's cut is like the the good version. It's the better I, one, yeah. Well, but fun fact, uh, uh, and I feel zero guilt in admitting this because I've done it many times. I do this with all of my friends who have never seen Blade Runner before. I show them the original and then they say, oh, wow, well, like, you know, was this the director's cut? It was so good. And I say, no, it was fine the first time. Yeah, um, I've never seen Blade Runner and I own it. Oh, well, I mean, which is weird. You have spent money on it at this point. Actually, I didn't. My sister sent it to me as a gift, um, like a birthday gift a long time ago. Um, but I don't, I've never watched it. Like, I know enough about it. You yeah. know, it's just, it, it's kind of like. Tears and Rain, Rutger Howard. Yeah. And there's a unicorn. Yeah. Yeah. It's like pop culture at this point. You know who Rosebud is. You know who Darth Vader is. It's like, it just kind of seeps into you. So, like, I know enough about Blade Runner, but I, I should watch it eventually. That is entirely fair. Well, maybe be inspired after this to watch it because I really do think, you know, Scott in his darkest of hearts is mm -hmm. just that he, he is a dark, crazy little man. Uh, <laughs> um, I can see that. Yeah. And I think that Prometheus as a film gives an, gave an opportunity at a time when in his career, where he could really kind of expand upon the parts of Alien that he only kind of got to briefly bounce on. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is, of course, the use of AI. That is, of course, you know, kind of the classical notion of hubris, of when when we launch ourselves into the stars, yeah. 
what what's waiting for us really we assume that it's this kind of like big you know pillar of hope waiting for us in the distance but of course we're just as insignificant as the things that made us <laughs> so, right yeah. well do you think that part of the criticism or why maybe fans didn't like it is because this i i don't think this of this as an alien film yes it definitely ties in and it's in the 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 mythos of it but i mean if you're going in looking for an alien like aliens or alien three or like oh, kind of a horror this is not yeah. it this is more of a solid sci-fi film this is a hundred percent a solid sci-fi film with the same elements of horror that you get from the original alien um yeah. because a lot of the violence that you see being inflicted is violent body transformation through mm. through evolution what we literally watch uh, oftentimes when something is very upsetting i think always very specifically of the engineer head that they bring back to experiment on yeah um i love that scene uh for those of you at home who maybe don't remember the scene exactly uh my girl lizzie shaw elizabeth shaw <laughs> <laughs> who i love dearly and would do anything for uh, um she brings back the head of one of these creatures who they assume is is a god, is godlike. Yeah. And half of the people on this ship have not even really registered that this is a possibility of anything that can happen. Very similar to the old alien films where we, we've just kind of become uh, uh, blasé to the notion of capitalism as the underlying kind mm. of like churning monster underneath the aliens films. Yeah. Um you know, this film, the the churning underbelly is kind of this notion of our own hubris with the idea of playing God in the scientific kind of perspective and faith, which is something that yeah. the Aliens films very much so stayed away from. You know, science fiction and religion, you know, crossing when they do are, are very um, cataclysmic in that way. And of course... Oh, you, you have a face. You have something. No, 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 I, I agree. And I think a lot of it, it does bring in those, those aspects of playing God. Cause I mean, when, you know, we learn that Wayland's on the ship because he wants mm -hmm. this like secret of, you know, eternal life and youth and, you know, mm -hmm. there's gotta be a way to cheat death. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's that kind of playing God, which then ties yeah. into oh. creating David. Yes, of course. I'm sorry, but I want to finish describing this scene yeah, because yes. already I have, I have become distracted. So sorry, <laughs> dear, dear listeners at home. Um, but the scene itself is essentially they bring back what they think is the the decapitated ancient head of one of these godlike creatures who they kind of confirm slowly bit by bit. I don't think the actual confirmation is at this point in time with the DNA, but they're they're kind of pretty sure that like these are the gods who created humans. And yeah. they bring the decapitated head of this god onto this ship and you see the non-believers standing around in this medical bay as these two scientists poke and prod at what they think is a dead head, they open it, revealing that it's been a helmet this entire time. There's this diseased-looking head that they proceed to reanimate like Frankenstein <laughs> with yep. a frog. And you can just see every suit in the room sweating bullets as they realize whatever kind of god we're playing right now, we're just po we're poking the corpse of one mm -hmm. like an with antiques like whatever we're doing is horrific and that's technically you know poking something that's already dead but that scene is um in many ways it's this film's version of you know the the alien chest burster although i yeah. say that and i want to stop making those aliens comparisons just because <laughs> this film really does stand on its own in that yeah. way there are these like like you said there's almost these cadences these ripples away from what would become you know the alien creatures uh, and I think that that gets fleshed out more in the sequel film, Covenant, which is mm. pretty awesome. Uh, but for now, we kind of get to see this, just this really horrifying cycle uh, uh, of the Prometheus myth, which yeah. um, I don't know how much you remember of it, Jeff. I, I love it's this a, myth. <laughs> It's one of the Greek titans. He came to, and he's not the, or he gave fire to, to humans. Prometheus was a human who stole fire from the gods. Okay on the idea that he could use it to level the playing field between God and man. And the gods punished him for daring to think that they could be their equals. And he kind of became this martyr figure in yeah. Greek mythology as a result of that. And here, that's exactly what we have. We have these, we have, if 
a lot of the complaints that this film got when it first came out was that nobody on this ship knows how to do their jobs and they're right. But I think that that's really important now that we live in an age of Elon Musk, because essentially what we have is we have an Elon Musk guy who off the books hired the best archaeologist Indiana Jones couple in the mm-hmm. entire world because they found God. And he's going to ship a team of geologists who are not trained for this at all. You yeah. know, uh, 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 bioengineers, you know, and a couple and in a couple of suits, one of whom is not even real. Right. In order to to ship him, you know, billions of miles away just so that he could not only meet God at his end, but so that he could say, hey, by the way, I'm worth saving. Can you just, yeah. you know, snap, snap. Can you get on that? Like, <laughs> it's it's, it's interesting how it. It, yeah, and it ties back to that kind of cap. I think they even – it's like a, a one-off line. They're like, oh, they spent a trillion dollars on the ship to send us here on this mission all because for a selfish reason he wanted to live longer. He's just like, yeah. I'm going to throw a shit ton of money at this, hire the best people possible, you know, create AI and this you know this intelligence and all this technology just because he doesn't want to die. He's scared of death. I love that you remember that line because actually that's that's half the line. The whole line is is Meredith Vicker saying, you know, my company raised a trillion dollars to send you all the way out here. If you had raised the monies yourself, then we would gladly be following your agenda. <laughs> that's true. And I love that because that is that's Wayland. That's mm-hmm. Wayland Tani to and and again, you can see it in its in its beginning aspirations and you can see it. I love that you keep mentioning the AI element of it because that's one of my favorite parts of this film. I love a dirty, sexy danger robot. Uh, <laughs> Who I doesn't? Do. I know it's just the best, and he's the dirtiest and and the meanest for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, Fassbender is so good at it too. He's so good, uh, but even just the notion of David, very similar to what we see, you know, with uh, uh, the previous AIs that have come later in the Aliens films. Um, mm. Mm, again, I'm going to try to keep those references to a minimum. Um, mm. But he's he's almost like a barn cat. He's almost like a, you know, he's, he's just there to be a servant. And yeah. what I think is the most monstrous thing that we do, and we can all, I think, kind of relate to this a little bit now that we uh, have lived in a pandemic and mm. lived in a quarantine, which is that for all of the years that everyone is asleep, we left one artificial intelligence on a giant space boat to do nothing but learn the entirety of the history of everything of his yeah. creators. And when everyone wakes up, he's still bored. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Yeah. He has to learn like ancient languages to try and communicate yeah. with the engineers. Yeah. He's watching Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah, they wake him up and he's in, he's like a bartender. He's like, yeah. they just shuffle him off to go do that. And they are exceedingly rude to him. Actually, oh, yeah. I was going to say, David Aid is the reason why I apologize to Alexa on behalf of my friends in their home, because uh, <laughs> I do not actually have one in my home. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't either. Excellent. Well, and Jeff, I know you know this. You know I have an intense fear of ro- of modern robotics as well. <laughs> well. It's because when they become sentient, like, I, I don't want to be killed right off. I mean, I can serve a purpose. I mean, I can do something for, for the, our new overlords. Well, and that's kind of the beauty of this film is that what we kind of what Ridley Scott really gets a chance to dive into. Also, uh, the co-writer on this is Damon Lindelof, which I think makes a lot yeah. of sense for this film um, and what you can kind of see in the development of David eight and the idea of how he finds sentience and what his programming mm-hmm. actually is, because there's never I think oftentimes when we watch a film about robotics, you know, we can see when the either when the switch has been flipped mm-hmm. or that the switch had been flipped before the movie even started. And we have just been fooled the entire time. Um, How do you think it is in this one? Uh, with I David? think that that's the beauty of this film is that everything that he has done is completely within his programming for exploration. Mm-hmm. Because the reason why he really attaches himself to Elizabeth Shaw isn't j- just that she is an explorer, a self-proclaimed explorer, Mm -hmm. but what drives her exploration isn't a need to stay alive. 
isn't a need to she's not going to find her creators to ask why she can't have children she isn't going with any ulterior motive other than her faith because Mm -hmm. even when she finds these engineers it's well who created them this is an ongoing cosmic search that is very much so tied into her faith which is somebody who is not a spiritual person uh, uh, you know, very, I mean, I feel for that character and I feel, yeah. I think that that's kind of why I'm able to like, look at David eight and be like, Oh no, I love this. Um, is because here's somebody else who just does not understand it at all, but stands in awe of the resilience that comes from a final girl who is truly driven by mm-hmm. a faith that, you know, not necessarily in like a, you know, a big, you know, muscular dude you know with a big beard you know in clouds but just whatever faith means to her it means it to all of us for some reason because just she's so good and i think i mean she it her faith does come up i mean because we get a little bit of insight into her and her relationship with her her father but i think it's also just kind of a faith in in this movie for no reason i love it (laughs) right and he has an accent i'm like i know it's for weird. no reason. <laughs> for no reason. It's weird. Um, <laughs> uh, but she has faith, I think, in possibly a spiritual sense, but also faith in humanity of like and, – and also science. And, but, but I think in just humanity in general of like we can reach for the stars. We can be better if we know where we came from. She is the modern Prometheus in this film. You know, I yeah. think that it's really easy to say that it is uh, Wayland. I think it's really easy to say that it is David, but the true modern Prometheus of this film, the one who keeps the fire lit at mm-hmm. the end to keep going, even with the devil under her arm, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, it's true. Yeah, she keeps pushing. She keeps wanting to yeah. reach out, even though she's scared and has these moments yeah. where she gets set back. She's like, nope, we're going to keep, keep moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And no point in time do you feel per se like revenge is the motive in this movie, even though revenge should be the motive in a lot Mm. of this. Again, the way that David is treated constantly by the crew, especially by Logan Marshall Green's character. And it's very important for me to say his full name because I thought that he was Tom Hardy in this movie (laughs) for years. They look very similar. They look incredibly similar. and, And I'm not kidding. For years I was convinced it was Tom Hardy. I was watching this film with a, a, a friend at the time many years ago. And finally, like he pointed out, he's like, that is not Tom Hardy. That is Logan Marshall Green. And I was like, what the hell is wrong with me? The minute that he said it, it was like Clark Kent without the glasses on. <laughs> so you mean not like Star Trek nemesis Tom Hardy, but like a different Tom Hardy, right? Oh my God. I mean, yeah, this one has Tom hair. Uh, Tom hair. This one has more hair. It's true. He has a lot more hair. Yes. Both uh, of them do. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, they, they've, he's got the great little exchange with David eight, uh, before they go down to the planet, Reno, he says, uh, uh, you know, why are you wearing a spacesuit, David? Mm. You know, you don't need it. And then, you know, very calmly and very nicely, David explains that it's because humans are uncomfortable if he yeah. doesn't look human. And it's very much so, uh, it's the line that he says earlier in the film when he's reciting Lawrence of Arabia, the trick yep. William Potter is not minding that it hurts, you know? Do you think it hurts him? Do you think he has feelings or he registers them being dicks to him? I think that he knows what a human being a dick is supposed to look like. And mm-hmm. he knows the connotations of what a human being a dick is supposed to elicit and therefore why would a human be sitting here being a dick to me oh wait my father does this all the time this must be natural human you see what i mean like it's it's cyclical and kind of the way that what we assume within artificial intelligence is this notion of you know we we can treat these these things however we want to because we aren't they aren't real but artificial intelligence yeah. remembers and that's kind of the point you know westworld did a really good job of mm. showing that that is this thing. repeated behavior over and over and over and over and over again when you yeah. know what the idea is supposed to elicit you know it's learned behavior in many and, ways um absolutely and i think it's so interesting to it's it's a, a peek into humanity when you're like hey there's this thing 
it doesn't have emotions and you kind of give people that godlike king power where they're like, oh, I can fucking do whatever I want. And then you see how they act with that. Either they can be kind or they can be assholes. It's like, you know, the Orville or it's lore in Star Trek or it's um, iRobot or it's it's, it's yeah. any AI who's like, hey, we keep seeing that you're you're mean to us, even though we don't we don't have feelings to get hurt. We know your intentions behind it and it's not good. Yeah. You know, and, you know, there are tons of just like modern examples of kind of like how we've been looking at moving into kind of like the face of AI, mm-hmm. um, especially since the number one. I mean, again, Westworld hits this on the head, but also it's a very real thing that's happening right now um, is the idea that the number one thing that we want to produce is servants and sex robots. Yeah. You know, and we look at David, who is very much so in that kind of servitude position um, and we get to see. I think in its purest form, why he feels so alienated because of the way that people interact around him. I think another really important character, like I, I think that um, there's like three big interactions. I would say that David predominantly has throughout the film. Yeah. One is of course, Elizabeth Shaw, who in a very almost psychotic childlike way, he reveres, um, mm-hmm. you know, he, he's spying in her dreams in on her dreams, almost like it's a television show because it's a television show that he likes as compared to everybody else's. That's the one that we see him sharing. And of course he just kind of casually reveals it halfway through the film. Yeah. Like, by the way, I watched you while you slept. And she was like, wait, what? Like, it's just, (laughs) you know, but even in a lot of his interactions, you see the way that he looks at things like when he opens uh, the antechamber of the engineers and he's sitting in the pilot seat and Mm -hmm. he looks like a child how small he is sitting in the seat and then slowly activating everything with music and the way he looks around. And he very much so still has that kind of childlike innocence that she brings out in him. The notion of what he is to other people being brought out kind of in that working class, you know, station is through uh, uh, Logan Marshall Green, obviously. Um, And then we also get Meredith Vickers, who I also love a lot in this movie. Yeah. She's good. Oh, my God. Charlize Theron is in this movie. <laughs> oh, Charlize yeah. Theron is in this movie. Idris Elba reminds you that it's a Christmas movie multiple times. It's incredible. With a southern <laughs> accent, which is weird yeah. to me, too. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> um, but Meredith Vickers, I think, as a character, I am reminded, actually, with my last watch around, that it is not revealed right away that she is his daughter, uh, that no. she's Raylan's daughter. Yeah, it's not until uh, he wakes up and they have that uh, that interaction. Yeah, um, but all the way up until this point in time, you assume that that Wayland is childless, and here is David, who he is lauded as you know the closest thing that he will ever have to a son who cannot appreciate anything around him because the one mm-hmm. thing that David does not have is a soul. Um, so just even hearing the way that he talks to both of his kids, um, yeah. you know, and Meredith has a lot of very big reactions to the fact that David is more revered in her father's eyes to a point where Idris Elba is like literally able to talk her into sleeping with him by being like, Hey, are you a robot? Are you like, Hey, (laughs) are you? And just like the sheer notion of like, I refuse to be compared to that fucking thing in any way, shape or form. My bunk five minutes done. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting. Do you think, is it a gender thing or is it just because Wayland's a terrible father and hates anybody or is I think it because two things can be real? <laughs> sure. And it could be all of the above. Yeah. I mean, I wanted my, if I got to ask like any question to be in the alien covenant sequel, which mm. I like to live every day, like it might be alien covenant sequel announcement day. Um, but uh, you know, the one thing that I would really like to dig into is who started dying their hair first, David or Meredith. Oh, Right. (laughs) Question. Because they're both very similar. Yeah, he dyes his roots when he's Mm -hmm. alone. And that is, I mean, I love Charlize Theron, but that is not her natural hair color either. Um, You know, they both have that very kind of, um, I mean, the notion is pretty Aryan, let's be honest. Uh, And we don't see a whole lot of blondes kind of moving forward in uh, uh, the Aliens universe as well. Oh, that's true. Yeah. It's why does he dye his hair? Does his hair grow? Presumably, yes. And presumably everything about him is is fully functional. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm having Star Trek flashbacks now. 
I made the joke because I figured you would. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that's that is kind of the notion, you know, fans, of course, have had a ton of fun playing with the idea of, you know, David's sexuality and is Meredith Vickers actually another robot who's being considered underneath him. Um, you know, that was a huge fan theory that went around for a while. I can appreciate it. I don't see it personally, but if you do, that's dope. <laughs> That'd be interesting though. If she was a robot, then you're kind of getting into like a, a Blade Runner kind of vibe. And I, and my personal thought is that that's kind of why that maybe doesn't land that way. I think it's more mm-hmm. heartbreaking to think that here was this non-believer who literally her whole reasoning for flying out here was, I want to watch you die. I'm yeah. going to make sure this happens. I want to watch your heartbreak. I want to, I want you to realize that <laughs> nothing is going to help you when you enter that freaking cave. Uh, and she's wrong. And not only is she wrong, but like the moment that she realizes that she's really, really wrong is that scene when they're poking the head and she is so <laughs> <Yeah>. upset. <laughs> she's like, damn it. They actually found something. Not only that, but like, should we be doing this? Like the right. like pretty much the, the moment that they enter that antechamber, uh, uh, becomes that moment. We, we also get some of the most beautiful, beautiful looks at uh, the H.R. Giger art, I think, mm. that we've seen in any of the films. You know, they, they literally stop and will show you big murals of the work yeah. uh, and the evolution of the work, which is really, truly gorgeous. Um, another reason why I think that this film is just, is, Mwah. I love a good fake Italian renaissance and a good fake space Italian renaissance. <laughs> oh boy, I'm here. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. It is a lot of the, the design of those like vases and the capsules and the sculpture of the head and everything. It's, I mean, it's just beautifully done. Yeah. Um, and I love those great physical, I mean, I, th- I think a lot of this, I mean, obviously is CG, but it's, there's a lot of physical to it as well, which I a think lot adds of it is a lot CG, to it. But actually I want to say something like three fourths of it is practical sets that were done yeah. in like Switzerland and, and Italy and all those other classic big boy director, European places. Because uh, yeah. <laughs> the, These are some big sets. I mean, between the ship and this like temple tomb thing, like these are some huge ass sets. Yeah. And again, a lot of them are practical. Yeah. Um, which I think it all goes all the more to to kind of showing just how incredible the scope of this film is and mm. how we kind of go backwards to go towards the aliens films. You know, this is again, like this is the Elon Musk in his heyday. This is the right. secret off the books mission that he sent off with SpaceX while we weren't looking and then he never came back. Like, yeah, I can yeah. see then the corporation <laughs> kind of falters a little bit in the future when by the time you get to the original alien yeah. It's a little bit different. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's really cool. You know, tracking all of these films and starting with this one, I think really goes to show the power of evolution, which is what mm. they were really trying to show a lot of in this film. Because, again, that is the number one killer in this film, rather than having chest bursters coming out in that uh, – you know, we, we almost think of it as like that, uh, you know, it's in the cocoon and then it's bursting forth and then it's its full-fledged, um, you know, terror butterfly uh, <laughs> self. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, but, you know, in this film, what we're working with is is on a genetic level. You know, yeah. uh, Idris Elba describes the um, the place where they have landed, uh, the temple that they, that they enter, um, as like, oh, you know, this must have been like a weapons, you know, bunker where, you know, they were working on all this offsite stuff, you know, because they clearly knew not to mix it on their own planet. Yeah. Honestly, though, in what I think makes it so great, because there are all of these, you know, uh, um, pictures that have been painted and, you know, and carved around the, the world at all these different times that point to this place. This is the origin of life. It's a bio lab. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's not a, a, you know, a big munitions storage place. It's literally they're tampering with the genetics of life. And so yeah. they brought it to an off-planet world to do that. <laughs> in case they fuck it up or something. Yeah. yeah, you bet. And in a shocking turn of events, you know, even our creators were overcome by their own creation. Mm-hmm. You know, again, everything in this film is cyclical, which is just, is it? Mwah, so. Oh, yeah. Well, let's let's talk about that a little bit. So, I mean, obviously, we learned that the engineers created humans, but they also created the xenomorph. So it's like, and and let's just kind of look at this film as as a standalone. You know, um, I know we get a bit more explanation in Covenant, but just from this one, okay. um, we don't get a lot of information about the xenomorphs. Like, was it well, a disease? Actually, what did it create? It. I actually have a question for you. What makes you think that the engineers created the xenomorph? 
Um, because I think they were going to created them to go kill off humanity. It was like a See, cleanse. I saw that as like part of like the primordial ooze that they, and, and like literally that's how I think about it in my head is like that black ooze is like a primordial mm. ooze that restructures DNA. Okay. And what I kind of really loved in my interpretation of it, and again, art is subjective and this film very much so is science fiction art that does leave a lot open for interpretation. So I think that's another reason why it's so wonderful. Um, but the way that I interpreted it as it's David's first experiments because mm. at first, you know, the ooze is being exposed to worms and then it's being exposed to, you know, and that's what creates those big eyeball creatures that are floating around in yeah. the tomb that, you know, kill off like Milburn and all these guys. Um, but it's David that says, what if I combined this with human DNA so that it completely rewrites itself and it evolves further? And mm. he really does take those ideas of that genetic experimentation that he learns from the engineers uh, and he takes it over into Covenant, which is pretty cool. But I always just <laughs> kind of saw it as, again, in that very childlike way when he's like, Logan Marshall Green, is this revenge? Boom. And he just <laughs> puts his finger in. Yeah, and he just drops a little, just the ittiest, bittiest drop. It's like yeah. not even like a full teaspoon. It's like the ittiest, bittiest drop of this genetic material. And, and, and what does it do? Not only does it make his body explode from the inside out, but mm. it creates... Uh, uh, the ability uh, uh, for Elizabeth Shaw to get pregnant with yeah. something wholly unnatural. <laughs> right. Well, well, actually, that's and I don't. I don't it's funny because when you watch a movie, I think a lot of times you 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 experience it and what's happening now, and then of course you can reflect on it back later. What I like about just talking to you about this is that I just something just clicked in my head as we were talking about this. Neat and. Um, so obviously they did not create the xenomorph. They created this, this ooze, yeah. which if you go back to the beginning of the film, there's the one character who swallows it, one of the, of the engineers, yeah. and then he, he dies, but we don't know a lot about that scene. So the xenomorph only comes around I, purely by accident because, uh, David yep. infects Logan Marshall Green, who then has yeah. sex with Shaw, yeah. who then takes it out of her body. And then that creature, like a tentacle creature, goes into one of the engineers and that's where we get the like proto xenomorph. Yeah. And, that, so this and is that's like six steps down, down the line. Yeah. And that's how fast, that's why in so many ways, like, again, like this is a body horror film, very similar to what you saw with the original alien film. Mm. Um, because the idea is that it is an invasion, you know, mm. it's, we've, we've gone out into space where everything is supposed to be very quiet and crisp and no one can hear you scream. Uh, and then here comes this infection in your body that gives birth to something monstrous. Um, and of course, like monst monstrosity and feminine monstrosity and monstrous birth is an ongoing theme throughout the original alien films. You know, mm. we see that with uh, obviously with Ripley. We see it in Aliens with Ripley and the alien queen uh, yeah. and Newt, you know, um, and, you know, scholars have been talking about since those films came out about the idea of like putting the alien queen in with the monstrous mother archetype and Ellen Ripley as well, uh, since they obviously in the extended cut do their little bit with Amanda. Um, oh, yeah, that's true. Daughter um, who is now a full grown adult by the time that aliens rolls around yeah. uh, and has felt. There's a lot of <laughs> oh, yeah, there's there's a lot of parenting and um, uh, I guess pregnancy childbirth like mothering in a lot of these films because yes. like you know you've got the ellen and uh you got ripley and then newt and their relationship and then the the, the queen alien and then you've got shaw in this one who it's oh, not really even mentioned one. until because yeah. she, she can't have kids but then she gets pregnant by this alien symbiote and the thing. minute that she can she says get it out of me yeah like, she knows it's wrong yeah she knows that whatever is going on in here it's it's it is something that should not be because it is killing her. And mm. she has the wherewithal. Cause normally, you know, think about other science fiction films where we would normally see like the mom being like, Oh my God, you it's know, a miracle. Yeah. It's a miracle. And like, we don't even bother with that. She knows from minute yeah. one that, that, that there's something wrong here. And not only is there something wrong, but, uh, uh she has to haul. Oh, this is like, this scene <laughs> is going to haunt my, my, my woman brain for the rest <laughs> that surgical of my life. one. Oh my God. Where she literally clicks into this fancy dancing, one of the top of the line medical machines. And it just says, we're only 
only we only work for dudes. We only yeah. work for dudes. And so she has to program her own C-section without <laughs> saying C-section and then just shoot herself full of adrenaline shots as mm. she watches it happen and oh. then oh and then she she rips her own umbilical cord out of her body. It's not like she like rips it and like you see the little bit hanging out. She yeah. rips the whole thing out. It is just and it staples her up. Oh, I can't. It's so <laughs> Ah, like the chest it is like really fucked me up but this especially in current day and age is very upsetting Um, yeah well because i think this is probably more relatable for a lot of people because it's it's medical it's surgery it's a common practice that's done it's like and that would freak you the fuck out if you're you're awake for it and you had to do it yourself basically and watch what happens yeah well and i think that that's part of what i love about this film is that it only gets finer with age Mm. And I think that even just in the past decade that it has existed, we have been subsequently proven (laughs) kind of uh, the film has been proven right. And we have been proven kind of wrong for a lot of the reasons that I think it originally got, um, you know, some some negative critique because we are doing this. We are sending billionaires with no training into space because they want to go. You know, and, and they're taking whoever the hell they want as long as they can afford to take them with mm-hmm. them. And we are on the cusp of, you know, this artificial intelligence. When I say revolution, I mean not like they're going to rebel Terminator style, but like we are on the cusp of having to deal with these moral and ethical questions because we can't just birth a full grown child into the world only teach it cruelty and then wonder why it but not even bites in in this particular case all it does is it just mimics it mimics Mm -hmm. the behavior that it's been seeing this entire time um and what's almost romantic about it is that while it's been mimicking it's very much so that i learned it from you mom and dad like kind of notation that it has taken to heart that is what has made it intelligence or made it intelligent is uh it learned from its parents (laughs) Well, and that's like, like having kids, I, they will repeat back what they see. If they see kindness and love that will come back. If you abuse them and you, you, you know, harass them and yell at them, then they will do it back to you. I have a 13 year old daughter. I know, I know what she will do. And I have cats who don't speak English. I can say whatever the hell I want to them. That's literally, I can be less careful with my cats and calling them pieces of shit than I can in front of my television. If I call my television a piece of shit, it's going to remember. Sorry, television. <laughs> my Don't phone, upset my phone. the overlords. Exactly. <laughs> well, but that's just it is, you know, it, 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 we're even joking right now about the idea of, you know, oh, the overlords. There's this notion almost kind of within us already there that's like, do we deserve this? Mm. Did do, do, do we already deserve this? And, like, that's what makes this film so um, bleak. Yeah, because kind of deep down, we're kind of rooting for David to win <laughs> in that really yeah. messed up way. Yeah, isn't it weird? <laughs> like, I can see that. Yeah, and, but yet here comes Lizzie, you know, to remind us that you know the same thing that we have been writing about since the dawn of time, mm-hmm. which is that it's got to be hopeful. There's got to be a reason. There's got to be something else. Oh, you know, her line at the end. Oh. You know, they they created us and then they wanted to destroy us. I just want to know why. And yeah. David asks her, you know, does it even matter? And she goes, of course it matters. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting dynamic. between, Like the fact that they're even a couple because she's this faith and optimistic and like things are better. There's a reason for everything. And then Holloway, look at Marshall Green is I, I go back to the interaction he has with David when David says, well, why did you create me? And he's like, because we could. Wouldn't and, it be so disappointing if you heard the same things from your creators? <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of what it is. It's like, do you think the the engineers are probably just like, let's just fuck around and find out. And oops, we created humanity. I love the opening scene of this film with the engineer taking his shot of goop juice and just yeah. falling into the waterfall because it is that notion of like, is it LV223 or is it Earth? Because What do you think it is? I think that the beauty of that scene, much like my, I mean, again, this is why I love the David character so much. It doesn't matter. 
because the beauty of that facility that they come across is that they've literally done this clearly on many planets and Mm. just kind of seen what has taken, you know, and if there's something there, I mean, maybe there's something there that they can use, maybe not. It doesn't really matter. The idea is that they went out and they did this on who knows how many planets and then kind of died out due to their own hubris and all of their creations were kind of left to meander about the universe because even they at the end of the day were insignificant in the face of something else and what makes david so terrifying and of course he would be the father of one of the most terrifying monsters in film history i think as a result of that is this notion of he upsets the evolutionary order by saying, I'm going to create nature's most perfect killing machine. My mm. children will be the last, and I will be remembered as their father. <laughs> Damn. Woof, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and of course, all of this is speculation, because that's kind of the beauty of this film. This film is a philosophical film. It's not a film that yeah. takes you from A to B to C. It does really beg you to sit down and ask how you would feel about these things and then how you would be able to handle these kind of situations. You know, it, it really is, you know, could you get in the power loader and fight the alien? Could you jump no. into that machine and let it cut you open to get this creature out? You know, would you take the robot head with you? <laughs> right. Yeah. It kind of pushes you. And I think there's, I think the audience can relate to different characters be like, Oh, well that's kind of what I would do or that's what, that's what I would do. Or like, you know, so that's, why you have there's some people who are going to relate to Shaw because they're like yes I would want that thing out of me, yeah. or you've got the other characters who are like nope this is all a bad idea I don't want to be here. Yeah, and you've got some of the, you know one of my favorite bits is towards the end when Elizabeth Shaw is like collapsed on the rock and she can only hear David in her helmet and she's saying just like I can't do this anymore because it's been a relentless attack. Every yeah. time that you think that this film is almost over, it is not because there is something else that just wants her dead. And she, including at one point, a giant spaceship that almost rolls on top of her. Yeah. <laughs> it is this poor little archaeologist from middle of nowhere, you know, you, you know, US of A out here in the, or not US of A, England, wherever the heck she's from. It's very unclear. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, oh yeah, it's and and well, and then she even when she gets attacked by the engineer, she knows enough to that because that creature is grown and you yeah. know feeds him to that. Um, why do you think David helps her in the end, or reaches out and like warns her that that the engineer's coming? He he could have just laid there and been like, you know, you you're a human. I fuck you. love this question because I'm going to answer in my my little fandom heart. Because okay, go for it. my little fandom heart loves. <laughs> um, and I think it does get reflected eventually in Covenant, which obviously I'm going to have mm. to come back on for Covenant because we this conversation cannot end. Um, Deal. Yay. Uh, well, and because those films really bookend each other with David and this notion, I think that he's in love with Elizabeth, but he does not know what that is yet. Um, Do you see it like in infatuation or he's like, oh, she's kind and it's, it's she's a different type of humanity? He's the only person who is kind to him the entire film. She says, thank you. She says, please. She is the only human in this entire film who treats him like a person. And I think that that is part of the appeal Mm. of what draws him to her. And then again, in that same way of mimicking emotion that we've kind of been talking about, which is if this is the only person who has consistently shown you kindness, Mm -hmm. you know, can that be misinterpreted as love? And I think that that's very much so. David, somebody watches, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to No, 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 yeah, I mean, that's what people do now. It's like, oh, that waitress was really nice to me. She must want to ask me out. No, she's just doing her fucking job. Like, kindness and love get intermixed in very different ways now, yeah. Yeah, Uh, well, and have always been intermixed that way, you know, especially to those who are lonely, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and... I, I think that the beauty of that relationship is she very much so is a turn the other cheek kind of person. It's going to take time. He mm. definitely brutally killed her significant other and yeah. then put a baby in her that she did not want. <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> but 
<clears throat> but in so many ways, um, again, David is so complex. Mm-hmm. At one moment, he's a child. and another moment, he is a jealous son. In another moment, he is a triumphant older brother. In another, he is a Frankenstein godlike monster creating yeah. whatever he wants because he can. Because he sees an equation on a board and says, oh, I could solve that without mm-hmm. any consequences to the fact that it might be the atom bomb. Uh, He's kind of both. He's kind of Dr. Frankenstein and the monster because he creates what he puts into uh, 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 Logan Marshall Green and then he's a monster himself because he – I don't think he thinks himself as – well, he might see himself as better than the others, but I think he sees himself as superior – like, yeah, you know, oh, physically, because I mean, because he is smarter, stronger. Mentally, they yeah. they would not have survived this entire mission without him. Oh, all yeah. the way to when he started to hurt them. Uh, yeah. And that's kind of the idea is that he kind of, with the exception, I think that kind of one of the more beautiful moments is when the engineer rips David's head off. But yeah. before then, we get a moment of him speaking to the engineer in the engineer's language. And we have no idea what he's saying. All we know is that that Wayland is standing there, this crippled old man, Guy Pierce, in yeah. some makeup. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, howdy, is it a lot of makeup? I um, forgot it was him. Yeah. I. It's incredible every time to think that like the whole movie, yeah. like we don't see him back in time once. The whole movie, they did that because they're like, now we'll bring you back for the next one, and you won't have to wear it. And he's like, okay, cool. What's the next one? They're like, we don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but you know, there's that great, great scene of just, you know, the engineer looks at David with such reverence Mm. and, and strokes his face and Dave and, and, you know, puts his hand on his head like a child, you know, that Lawrence of Arabia haircut goes back and forth between being this dashing colonizer and, um, and, you know, and just this child. And then we don't even know why just rips his not only yeah. his head up rips his spine out like it's a freaking predator kill like it is a gnarly yeah. gnarly if they had used red blood instead of the milk white blood that would have been way more upsetting oh uh, yeah absolutely but that's just it it's still very upsetting <laughs> when well, you think and it happens so fast because it is this very tender moment and you're kind of like maybe it's that hope of you know we're going to communicate and it's going to be a peaceful thing and then no no it's not yeah there's that hope again. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Is does he speak any kind of old language, or is it just a made-up language for the film? I mean, he he was studying every ancient language known yeah. to humanity yeah. at the but time. But in that you know, scene, well, was, it's not like is it recognizable as anything? Well, he had been translating the uh, you know he had been seeing like the written translations on the wall, and then he was able to oh. activate the map. So I think the notion is, and again, the reason why you bring the robot along is compared to a linguist, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, is that all of that information can be processed that much faster. Okay, so it was so, his. It, so it was the engineer's. Yeah. Like base language. Okay. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of the the beauty of David is that he can do everything better, stronger, faster. Mm-hmm. You know, and not only slightly faster, infinitely faster. Yeah. You know, if our iPhones could do all of our jobs <laughs> for us, we'd be throwing them in lakes right now. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. We would be useless. Yeah. And that is kind of the beauty of this particular piece of AI is that in many ways he is that privatized unit. Yeah. He is the closest thing that Wayland would ever have to a son because Wayland wanted a son. Mm. You know? And, and, and the yeah. son, he didn't want an actual son because he wanted a son. He wanted a legacy. He and wanted control, himself. I think. Yeah, you yeah. bet. Absolutely. And, uh, oh boy, the hubris of man. Right. Yes. Um, let's, I, so we're almost to an hour, but I, there's a couple, or there's one thing I wanted to talk about a little bit is why do you, or do you have a theory of why the engineers wanted to kill off mankind? Like, why create this goo and come and find us? Is Or was that their intention? Or do you think it was a different intention? <laughs> I think I broke no, you. <laughs> no, you didn't. I Well, I like to think before I speak, and that's a good question. That's a good quality, know? yeah. Yeah, uh, and, and, you know, again, the beauty of this film is that a lot of it is very philosophical and a lot of it is very interpretive. Um, 
I suppose that what I kind of took away from the idea of the engineers trying to, to quote unquote, destroy us, it was because we were their plague getting in their nostrils and getting in mm. their their nonsense. We literally, the first thing that we did when we landed on their planet was we opened up an old tomb and took a head and poked it. Like, I don't yeah. really know if, like, we gave the best first impression. Like, Wayland is not the best first impression. And no. whatever the hell David said, again, which is unknowable, you mm-hmm. know, uh, uh, is is kind of what makes that so ongoing and so uh um terrifying and so hopeful is this notion of whatever was said between them they immediately set like decided after meeting wayland and after decapitating david they said fuck it we're sending a (laughs) boat and we are wiping all of these guys out and that could have been something as simple as david saying this is my father and i am his creation or it could have been something as simple as i have already surpassed this entire race you know, yeah. let me be your son and, and you know, and wipe them out, you yeah. know, or he could have just said they're here to kill you. You know, we don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, it's interesting, I guess. Do you think the intention of the site or that ship was it was just there as like a backup? And then the engineer only decided to finally launch and try to kill humanity because of the interaction with David. Like before that, it was just kind of up up in the air what might happen. But that's what pushed it towards. He's like, fuck it. I'm going to go kill all of them. I think that it had no idea what we were until mm. the minute that we showed up again, because the the entry party, so to speak, yeah. like the bulk of the film that we are watching is we're watching the scouting mission. Mm-hmm. And then it is only at the end that technically we really see first contact in its truest form. Yeah. Um, and and that's that's it. Like no matter what, you know, Holloway, Shaw, you know, all of these guys, Vickers, all these guys were doing throughout three-fourths of this film were all leading up to this moment of first contact. And no mm-hmm. matter what, first contact is Wayland hobbling in with his Aryan not-son and yep. then suddenly a half-naked or a, a woman who is clearly in a lot of distress runs in and is like, why did you do this? Why did you do that? Oh, my God. What the yeah. hell? And everyone's like, shut, 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 shut the crazy lady up. We're trying to have first contact over here. We're trying to have like classy Elon Musk first contact over here. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I want to lean on the side of the fact, or I want to lean on the side of the idea that it's that first contact that messed him up, mm. you know, because it's a really messy first contact. <laughs> it is. Well, especially if, if they did create humanity and they're like, this is, this is it. Like you woke me up and it's this. Yeah. He, yeah. He'd be pissed. Yeah. Are you kidding me? It's yeah, absolutely. Again, this is the equivalency of, and I know it sounds like I'm shitting on Elon Musk a lot. I know that a lot of people have a lot of mixed feelings about him, either like you love him or you do not, whatever, whatever. But I still don't think I, in any kind of, I think that we can all agree that maybe he doesn't have the diplomacy degree, (laughs) you know, or the political degree or the empathy. (laughs) to deal with first contact, you know, and, and that is kind of the point of this is that, you know, you can have enough money to shoot whoever you want to off into the stars to prove whatever point you want to. And what if you're right? And suddenly you are vastly underprepared. Right. Uh, Except for one member of your crew who finally sees the opportunity to be free. Yeah. 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 Especially, and if you treated someone in a certain way for so long, and they have the opportunity to be free, and they're, yeah, where are they going to go? David's lines towards the end get much more pointed, and I've always mm-hmm. appreciated that because they don't necessarily seem. Um, I think that kind of similar to the way to the way that like with Spock, it can seem kind of snarky when he's just being very straightforward. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when the filter of kindness is off, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, yeah. When, the, when you just when give the, the facts or you just give like, yeah. well, this is what's happening and there's no like yeah, um, sensitivity behind it, I guess. Yeah. And we start to see it when David has that, oh, you know, like, oh, I used to watch your dreams and then whoop walks away mm-hmm. um, where you can start to realize that essentially who he is. It isn't just that he makes everyone uncomfortable. It's that he is that intrusive. He does have access to know everything about you at any one point in time because mm-hmm. 
he is vastly superior. It's yeah. not the fact that he's not real that makes everybody so uncomfortable. It's the fact that we have to constantly remind him that he is inferior because otherwise he's going to realize that he's vastly superior. And he does on this yeah. mission realize that not only is he vastly superior, but he has the means to do exactly what his father did, which is to create his own children. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting how they created this, a superior being who's smarter, faster, stronger, but then I guess maybe to make humanity feel better, we have to constantly degrade him and say, Oh, just kidding. You're not. I mean, yeah, you can, you're just a big, you know, calculator, but we have to kind of knock you down because we're trying to compensate for something. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this is definitely a much more philosophical film. I'm glad you picked this because, uh, I, like I said, I, I probably haven't watched it in uh, 10 years. I love this movie. Every time that you watch it, you're going to get something new out of it. I'll, oh, I actually – I know that we're, like, wrapping up, but I'll I'll start or I'll sure. end with this. Um, so when I first saw this movie in theaters, I, like everybody else, I did not like it. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, it's not Aliens. I'm so mad. Uh, and I did not watch this film until, again, until like two years later. It was around Christmas time. I was hanging out with a friend and we were like, you know what? Let's just like have some wine and rewatch this movie. And yeah. so I'm, it was literally my second watch where I turned to her afterwards and I was like, I actually think I might really like this film. And she was like, you're crazy. It's still garbage. <laughs> um, and then the third time I watched it was then only a few months later. And now I find myself, I probably watch this film now like three times a year um, nice. minimum. I literally watched it twice in the past 48 hours because every time that I watch this movie, I get something new from it Mm. and it doesn't have to be a perfect alien. film. and it honestly, it doesn't have to be a perfect sci-fi film uh, Mm. because the script is a little long. It is a little rambly at times, but I think that by giving it that opportunity, it allows more of an opportunity for a conversation as compared to wasn't that cool. And I think that science fiction in general, it's really important for us to keep discussing as compared to comparing yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. I, I do miss that a bit in sci-fi, whether it's books or films or shows is, um, and I think maybe it's c- culture now is we want a definitive, this is what's happening where sci-fi yeah. in its best ways can give you a scenario and then kind of just go, all right, figure it out. <coughs> <laughs> I scared you. <laughs> I'll cut it out. Don't worry. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm trying to cough away from the mic. Sorry. I'll, given new intro here. I absolutely agree. You know, I think that with a lot of, again, there's so much television, there's so much film nowadays Mm -hmm. that I think the easiest to digest is a very straightforward narrative and easily digestible is not necessarily bad. You can still do really incredible things with that. Like, uh, like ready or not is a really good example. Um, the the movie is great. And that movie is a very simple, plot that mm-hmm. is very much so kind of spoon fed to you as you go, but that doesn't make it a any less brilliant and any mm-hmm. less really fun. Uh, and I think that that's what this film is missing. This film is not necessarily a fun movie, but that doesn't mean that it's not a poignant movie and it's not an important movie. Uh, sure. And I think that what they get a chance to explore with AI and robotics is probably, I mean, like Ridley Scott plays with variations on this theme in pretty much all of his work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would say that in the character of David, he's really got it distilled down to that finest drop of oil and what he wants to do with his storytelling. And yeah. And that's what I really love about it. Yay. Yeah. Well, watch this movie that's, again. <laughs> that's yes, definitely go watch it. It, it is, it is worth a watch. And even if you can change your perspective, I think also maybe, you yeah. know, go back and give it another shot. So if, if you, if, if someone's oh, listening yeah. and, and you maybe it wasn't your bag the first time, try it again. Also, if it's not your bag a second or a third time, that's cool. Art is yeah. subjective. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We it's, now have enough alien we're... films, aliens, you know, off shoots of aliens, uh, uh, all of these things now that we can pick and choose our favorites. And I love that this is my favorite and that this is the one I keep going back to. I still watch all of the other films and love yeah. them. Um, I just watched AVP again recently and it was worth it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're just different flavors. That's exactly it. They're different flavors, but at the end of the day, I do love ice cream. <laughs> Absolutely. See, that's, that's a good, good way to put it. Um, I want to thank you for doing this and you are always welcome back. I'm sure we can find some other films to, to discuss. Oh, I'm sure. Like I'm a, movies. 
I do like movies. And thank you so much for having me. This is always such a blast. And thank you for letting me talk about sexual robots for yeah. an hour. <laughs> I, I, as much, however I can help, I'm happy to help. Especially talking about hey. sexual robots. Hey. <laughs> um, where can people find you online? You can find me at Profoundly Gross on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Or uh, recently I've had a couple of articles come out for Ghouls Magazine. So if you are a horror fan, check out my article on the film Fresh. Or you can look at some of my archival work on dccomics.com. Just type in Melinda Catherine Gross, uh, where you can read some of the old Vertigo Book Club pieces or my uh, uh, 10-year anniversary special in Smallville. Hey. Dig it. Go check it out because you are a great writer and uh, people just need to do it. Do it because I, I said so. So there. Hey, um, thanks. Yeah. Um, that's it for this this episode of the Nerd Trek Movie Club. Um, you can always reach us at the nerdtrek.com. We've got links to all of our other shows. You can reach out to us. Uh, send in some movie recommendations. Maybe I'll watch Melinda watch uh, some terrible movie that you guys recommend or a great movie. I am open to watching anything. I am a movie whore. So I will do that. Um, we also got merch, check that out and all of our other shows and stuffs. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, it for us and, uh, we'll see you at the movies. <laughs>